Hi everyone, great to be with you. My name is Pete Scazzaro and I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our theme today is power and wise boundaries, power and wise boundaries. So as you know, in these previous weeks, I've been moving through each chapter of the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And actually, I spent eight years writing that book. And But the most difficult uh, section of the book and chapter by far was this one on power and wise boundaries. Actually, this is the reason I wrote the book. Uh, I remember the publisher telling me, we don't need another, we do not need another book on leadership. Uh, and uh, I just said, listen, there's some things that I learned over some decades. I, I don't care if anybody reads it right now, but at some point, this stuff has to be written. And it was this chapter in particular that I was thinking about power and wise boundaries. And uh, the reason it was so difficult to articulate uh, with some clarity was there's not very much written about it. Uh, and it's rarely rarely discussed uh, beyond one-liners and tweets uh, and in talks and in generalities. But uh, I think I can say this with, at least in my experience, every church and every nonprofit organization and Christian community that I have talked to bear scars and hurt from a failure to steward well this issue of power and set healthy, wise boundaries. And uh, I was no exception to that. Uh, my understanding of power and boundaries was so inadequate for years and I was a good, I was confused. Am I a good friend? Am I a brother in Christ? I'm the pastor. I'm their boss. And uh, I lost relationships that I spent years building. And this was by far my most painful lesson of uh, my decades as a, a leader, as a pastor. And it's often uh, one of the first questions I'll get in a mentoring conversation with a young leader. Uh, some manifestation of that, this issue of how it works out in their daily life. So. I'm going to really revolve this whole podcast around the two central concepts uh, around power and wise boundaries. The first is stewardship, I'm going to call it, stewardship of power. And the second, is going to, I'm going to talk about just dual relationships. Now, a number of weeks ago, I don't know, probably a couple of months ago now, I, I actually I had our publisher make available the audio of most of this chapter uh, that I wrote. It's an audio podcast. And you can go back and look for that and, and listen to it. What I want to do in this chapter, in this, I mean, in this podcast, I want to give you a lot of examples. Uh, I want to apply it specifically because it's such a nuanced topic. And uh, in fact, let me encourage you again to download. Uh, there's a free discussion guide uh, available on our website, uh, and to take it and to supplement your listening to this and maybe talk about it with your team. Uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, and in particular, this chapter. So go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash ehleaderguide. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash ehleaderguide. It's free. And uh, you can talk about the different chapters because that right now we're, we're getting into the uh, high-level application of what I'm going to call being an emotionally healthy leader. So again, the first portion of the, the, the book talks about the inner life of our leadership. The second portion is the application of the inner life into our outer life functions. So this is talking about power and wise boundaries, but the the intersection of all these early chapters on your shadow, knowing, you know, uh, you know, facing your shadow and leading out of your marriage or singleness and uh, slowing down for loving union and practicing Sabbath delight, all those inner life issues intersect and rise up in our ability to handle power and set healthy boundaries well. So uh, 
check out that book and, and, and look at it. And it's, it's very nuanced. And you may feel free to send me specific questions after you listen to this podcast, maybe on Facebook or Twitter at Pete Scazzaro, or go to info at emotionallyhealthy.org. Feel free, because uh, there are just so many scenarios. I'm going to give a number of them here that as you think about applying this to your situation. So let's begin. Let's launch into it by talking about stewardship of power. Now, we're, we talk a lot about power in the secular media, uh, in the news, but we don't talk about it very much in the church. It's kind of seen as bad and negative. And, uh, and a lot of that comes out of our histories uh, and our poor use of power that we see in the culture. Now, for me, uh, my genogram, again, my shadow, you, my, my, the way I even approached power was very much impacted by my genogram, by my family of origin growing up. Again, I, I come from an Italian-American family. My grandparents were immigrants here to the United States. Uh, so they were on the lower echelons of you know, New York City at the time and uh, you know, trying to climb the scale. And they carry all kinds of the whole immigrant experience of feeling like you're kind of second class and uh, inferior. And then I had abuse in my family as well. And We've talked about another podcast, and so I had this sense of powerlessness as a kid growing up of not having power, you know, getting getting it beat out of me. And so then I came to Christ, and I was involved in a parachurch ministry uh, on on campuses in, in diversity, and like Campus Crusade or Navigators or any Youth for Christ, and th- th- these organizations have tremendous strengths uh, in in terms of raising up people, evangelism, making disciples, but. Uh, the emphasis was on equality and plurality of leadership, and our role as staff people was to raise up students to lead the groups on the campuses of universities. We were not to be exercising that kind of power or leadership. So it's great, but I had a shadow side too. As I brought that, uh, I'll call it a uh, a great emphasis, but we didn't have to, a need to talk about things like power and authority very much because it wasn't, you know, wasn't significant day-to-day to us. And then, of course, my generation, uh, coming to Christ, I came to Christ in the late 70s. There was a, a, a large distrust of authority in general. And then when we started our church uh, in 1987, it was a sense we're all in this together. Uh, I may be the you know, lead pastor, but really we're, we're all a team in this thing. And that's how I approached it. Uh, and it was a mess. Uh, I hurt people in the process and uh, it uh, you know, it was my largest pain of losing relationships over time. And, and uh, I, I lost relationships uh, in the early days and uh, climaxed into a large loss of some relationships uh, until I, I finally, I think, got it. Uh, some basic understandings of how power and wise boundaries works. Uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ, and uh, and I remember I, one of my mentors, uh, again a PhD, and uh, had run a large organization, Christian, uh, and he ran a secular organization. But he, uh, I mean, it was a non, it was a nonprofit and some secular organizations too. But he had a lot of experience in differentiation and power and all boundaries and stuff. And and his argument was that the, the more you grow and mature as a differentiated leader. Uh, you're going to lose some relationships. You're going to always lose relationships because people are growing and differentiating and maturing at different levels. And if you're maturing uh, at a different pace than those who are around you, it's going to cause problems. And so it's inevitable you will lose relationships. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but uh, interesting concept. But I know a lot of my losses were out of immaturity. Some of them were probably inevitable, but much of it was just lack of knowledge, simple ignorance. So 
let's just talk about the stewardship of power uh, because every leader exercises power and has to steward it. I, I, the word steward is the word I want you to remember. We steward it, which means we don't own it. We have it for a short period of time. It's given to us uh, by God, ultimately, and we are to manage it, uh, steward it on his behalf on our, in our short earthly lives. And power is simply the capacity to influence other people. Uh, so the best definition of power I know is this. It's the capacity to influence. And so, uh, in other words, power, Richard Gula, and I quote him in the in Emotion Like the Leader book, power is what enables us to make things happen or not. In this sense, everyone has power. We just don't all have it to the same degree. Power as influence is always relative to our resources. And one of the most important self-examinations we can do is to name our sources of power. For we're most at risk of ethical misconduct when we minimize or ignore our power. I love his definition, his statement of power that everyone, first of all, has leadership in them because we all have influence uh, to a greater or lesser degree. We're all powerful, made in God's image, and we all use it for good or ill. Uh, the problem is that few of us have ever reflected on our God-given power. So uh, we either underuse it, which is a much more common problem out of fear or a need to be liked or aversion to be conflict. Uh, we underuse it or we overuse it and we manipulate people and push people and we hurt people. So I, I, I lay out six uh, aspects of power. And I want to just go through them and give some examples along the way. And I want to add two more, actually, uh, that are not actually in the book. So the first is this. We, we identify and steward this. One, our positional power. In other words, you have a title. Perhaps you, you're a staff person at church or a leader of a ministry. You're a board member. You're a children's pastor. Uh, volunteer or paid. Uh, you're a spouse. You have positional power of, of, a, of a leader. Uh, and so say, as a spouse, we'll sometimes say, I'm no different than anybody else. Uh, well, it's not true. Uh, if you're married and sleeping with the lead senior leader, you have power. And uh, someday I'm going to get Jerry to do a podcast on that and Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. I mean, that'd be really something. So we have, all, we have positional power, uh, which that title or position gives us a certain level of power. Then there's personal power, which re re talks about our gifts, our, our knowledge, our personalities, our education, you know, so maybe your birth, birth, where you were born, how you were born, color of your skin, the opportunities that came your way. So, so this personal power, um, you know, I know folks who are, you know, you don't realize, very gifted, right? When I meet a gifted uh, communicator, for example, speaker, preacher, um, and often are, they're unaware of it, uh, but that, that's tremendous power to be exerting and uh, sometimes is exerted very flippantly. Um, and uh, that's why sometimes great speakers or leaders with great visions failure is such a blessing because you can get way beyond your position uh you're in a position way beyond your character uh and it's a huge problem and sometimes I, I meet leaders who want money and they want numbers they want larger numbers in their church or buildings they want to get bigger and really it's about power uh feeling of incompetency internally and so i want to make up for some by some external need and that's why face your shadow is so important uh alleviating your marriage or single is having some friends who probably see your shadow more clearly and easily being in loving union with Jesus who will clearly convict you of that if you're walking with him deeply and Sabbath just grounds us all because we realize hey you know what you're going to die but we have personal power and uh, that we all carry and I remember one uh, fellow I met recently who used to work in a trust fund for 25 years uh, for wealthy people and he shared with me how uh, 
in many cases when money was giving, because the family was very, very wealthy, would give their kids basically enough money to live on the rest of their lives at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And in some cases destroyed the kids' lives, just destroyed them because they didn't have to work and uh, didn't understand, didn't learn so many things about value of work and diligence, integrity, all kinds of things. And actually the money destroyed them. And uh, so, again, personal power, but money is a power that's given to us, right, as well. And so we got positional power, we got personal power, uh, and then we have God factor power. And that is basically that we represent God, and there's a weight, a sacred weight that we carry in doing so. And so when you're a Christian leader and you lead in the name of Jesus, people trust you, people trust me. Uh, and it's a God factor of power. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians 2, who is equal to such a task. It's very frightening that uh, we have this God power. And then there's projected power. People unconsciously project their, their unmet needs, their unresolved issues onto us. And uh, it's normal. Uh, people see us speaking for God, guiding them, bringing the word of God. Even a youth pastor uh, guiding you know, you, you know, people's teenagers it's a lot of power. Uh, and uh, maybe you went to a, a name school or you've got doctor in front of your name or, uh, or maybe you've got a lot of money. You know, people project power onto you. And uh, in fact, a young person told me recently, the fact that you live in New York City, Pete, we're in New York City, people attribute power to us or, or London, the same thing. And again, it's how you use it. Project power, you say, people know you know somebody who's famous or popular, you name drop and you know who? You know, and that's projected power. And so that, that's coming at us. So you got positional power, personal power, God factor power, projected power. Then there's relational power that we, you're with people over a long period of time. They trust us with their fears and their secrets. And so uh, you've been leading a certain group of people for a long period of time. That's a lot of relational power. Uh, and then there's finally this cultural power that I mentioned uh, that uh, we got to identify in steward, which is that there are certain cultural, ethnic, gender, racial, generational nuances to power. So... Uh, for example, uh, at our church, we've got, you know, we're 75 different countries, lots of immigrants from around the world. And so I think, for example, of the South Asians, folks from Bhutan and Sri Lankans and, uh, you know, India, very often will, will, will they have a, a view of pastors and authority very different than, you know, your average American, you know, will have. Uh, they have respect and they disattribute certain power to you. And uh, in my case, my case, being an American born and raised here uh, in a largely immigrant uh, community, my neighborhood in uh, Queens, New York here, gives me a certain amount of power because I'm actually a, you know, a New Yorker. Uh, and uh, so, again, my race as a white person, as a male, uh, gender is an issue, race is an issue, generational issue. That's why it's my generation. So those are all cultural power, lots of nuances on that, being male, uh, female, etc., etc. So that's why you want to always be a learner asking questions and because your history and experience with power is likely very different than that of other cultures uh, and other age groups and uh, even genders. Now I would add to the six, the seven, the six that I've listed there that are, you can find in a leader book, even your physical size is a, is a power. So you know, how, how large you are, you know, you're six foot four, six foot five, your, your presence coming into a room, how strong you are, um, is, is a power, uh, that you carry. And then of course, money is a power. And, uh, if you have, uh, if you've been graced by God with lots of material wealth, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something you got to steward and carry because people attribute so much to you. Um, 
and uh, because a person with you know has millions of dollars, for example, uh, they can change my life or your life in a moment, just one decision uh, financially or change a whole ministry. It's a lot of power. And when people are around folks with money, all kinds of unconscious projections happen and all that. So uh, it's a weight to have a lot of money to carry. So uh, that's why unawareness of our power is so dangerous. And again, in my early years, I, w I was, you know, I think of myself in meetings, uh, how I was the founding pastor of a church startup. And we weren't a lot of people, but I was still the founding pastor. And, and uh, I'd be in meetings and my presence was a power uh, in a meeting. It lent credibility to it. And then if I, in my case, in the early days, I was driving. I was, my pace was so intense. I, I lacked a centeredness in myself and in Jesus at times. I, 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 I created a culture, uh, but I was so unaware of my power and all my, uh, my unresolved issues of, uh, and, and unawareness of my own personal life impacting me today. And, uh, and then, of course, I didn't like exercising power. So I said, I'm just, I, I felt powerless, but I had all this power. And that, I would say, is the most common issue that I see with leaders is they have leadership power, but they're not exercising it. Uh, and the word here is differentiation. And we talk a lot about an emotionally healthy discipleship, emotionally healthy leadership, differentiation, this concept that comes out of family systems theory. And I, I want to reread re my summary of uh, this uh, parable, this fable, it's called a tiger. And um, it's actually found in the chapter Culture and Team Building. But I want to read it to you. I want to make a couple of points about it. It's so important about exercising our, our identifying and stewarding our power well. And, and the, the fable goes like this. Once upon a time in the friendly forest, there lived a lamb who loved to graze and frolic about. And one day a tiger came into the forest and said to the animals, I would like to live among you. And they were delighted. Unlike some of the other forests, they had no tiger in their woods. So this lamb, however, had some apprehensions because being a lamb, she, you know, she, she could get eaten by a tiger. And so she expressed her need uh, to some of her friends and the leaders. And they said, don't worry, we'll talk to the tiger and explain that one of the conditions for living in this forest is that you must get along with all the other animals in the forest. So the lamb went about her life as usual, but it was not long before the tiger began to growl and make threatening gestures and menacing motions. And every time the frightened lamb went to her friends, the leaders, and said, it's uncomfortable for me here in this forest, her friends assured her, don't worry, that's just the way tigers behave. And they pointed out that nothing happens to you already. Nothing's happened to you. You're just being too sensitive. So the lamb tried to put the tiger out of her mind. But every now and then, when she was least prepared, the tiger would shock her, you know, behind a bush. And finally, the lamb couldn't take it anymore. She decided that much as she loved the forest and her friends, the cost was too great. So she went to the other animals in the woods and said goodbye. Her friends would, no, no, this whole thing can be worked out. It's probably just a misunderstanding that can easily be resolved that we just would communicate. And then another less subtle animal in the forest was over, heard this remark and said this, I've never heard anything so ridiculous. If you want a lamb and a tiger to live in the same forest, you don't try to make them communicate. You cage the bloody tiger. And the point of this parable, what I love about it is the problem in the community was <coughs> that the, um, the tiger needed to be um, caged, needed to be stopped. In other words, the lamb could not cage that tiger. It was the leadership's role. And the number of times in 
communities are in workplaces or in nonprofits where there is chaos or something unhealthy happening, when leaders don't lead or steward their power well, uh, it just leads to all kinds of, of problems. Even go, this can even be applied to marriages where it's not uncommon for, to say to uh, one spouse and, and a couple of a dynamic going on between them that one of them, it could be male or the female, needs to exert their power and say, I'm, I'm not happy here. Like, we have a problem. Like, we need to go get some help and uh, exert their power for the sake of the good and steward their power. Because you're, you're, as you're a married couple, you're one flesh. And it's two people coming together in that oneness. And each has power that needs to be exercised. And, and one of the great challenges in any healthy marriage is an equal exercise of power. It's rare to find a marriage uh, where both are exercising power well and equally. Generally what happens is someone's power is overriding the others. And I find myself among leaders, especially uh, encouraging often one of the spouses to say, listen, you need to exert your power and, and say something. So let me apply this to a number of examples. So let's say you're an employee or you're overseeing employees. It can be part-time, full-time, pastoral employees, administrative, uh, a nonprofit. Uh, you, you, if you're paid uh, by the organization in the name of Christ, that you're stewarding that. And that's why it's so important that you have a clear uh, role, job description, and uh, you're doing your job. And uh, we hold people accountable to do their jobs, not because we're trying to be corporate and driven, but we're seeking to be good stewards of what God has given us to manage. Same thing with a board uh, of elders or a board of deacons. Uh, a tremendous stewardship of power because ultimately a board in any organization has, uh, they're guarding the vision and the values uh, of it, of the uh, mission. And uh, it's just, it's it's a power to, to steward. And, and uh, again, I, I think the word stewardship of power is so important to work because we're not corporate. Uh, we're not the marketplace. We're, we're stewarding something that is given to us by God for a short period of time. And uh, language is important. And uh, I ran a sloppy organization for many years. Um, and then when I finally realized I was stewarding New Life Fellowship Church and all these employees and monies and energies of people, it was, it was a radical shift for me. Once I got in touch with my own power uh, as the lead pastor under the elders, I realized I had enormous power as the founder. Um, and I was actually, there were people trusting me to steward uh, the staff and the monies and, and put things in place and, and they were giving money trusting that I was stewarding it well and uh, and sadly I wasn't taking it that seriously because uh, I just said it wasn't my gifts and uh, that was really a, a misuse of power and so for me it was a gigantic growth moment for me when I finally said okay I'm stewarding this for God uh, it truly did drive me uh, to one do my own inner work but secondly to learn a great deal and to take it seriously you know, if you're a, a pastor of, uh, uh, or even a, a leader, a volunteer leader of youth or children, for example, or of a ministry, uh, that's a certain amount of power that you're carrying. And that's why if you're a leader, you want to always be a learner. You're not riding on your experience or your gifts or your abilities, or even people being, quote, happy with you. You're hungering and thirsting for God, and you're learning. That's why you're listening, hopefully, to this podcast and others like it, because uh, you want to always be hungering and thirsting for the face of God, but also hung and hungering and thirsting to, to grow as a leader so you can better serve people and be a steward. If you're a preacher and a teacher, I mean, what a, what a responsibility to be learning uh, and following Jesus yourself and walking with integrity. 
That's why your preparation of your life, everything is sermon preparation because your sermon is you, it's your, it's your life. And I mean, how many people have a profession where people sit there uh, and listen to you for 20 to 40 minutes uh, on a weekly basis? They actually sit there and listen on how do I live for God? How do I relate to God and other people? I mean, it, I mean, what, what a privilege uh, to speak for God. And again, if it doesn't send a, a fearful thing for you to speak in the name of Jesus in that pulpit, it should. I mean, I, uh, it's just, uh, it's a large responsibility. It really is. And, and, uh, it's not about having, being clever. It's, uh, it's about actually getting to God and bringing something from God to people, uh, in his name. And I think of all the people's time, energy, and resources that are, they're giving in a sense to your ministry and church. And, uh, and if you're preaching and teaching, uh, what a gift, what an honor, what a responsibility, what a privilege. Uh, but it's something you're stewarding. Uh, if you've got the ability to do that, it's a great gift. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I used to not say a blessing at the end of my sermons for many, many years. Uh, and it really, and, and I, I just told myself, who am I to, like at the end of the service to speak a blessing to people? And I remember watching another pastor friend of mine do it. He was older than me. And I was like, wow, like, wow. And I watched him for a few years. And, you know, we would be at events together and he would do that. But I didn't understand my power to actually bless. Now, anybody can bless. Uh, but when we have positional power and relational power and all the other powers I talked about earlier, uh, boy, my goodness, what a what a gift that is. And and um, so, again, it had to do with my genogram. And I want to encourage you to, you know, if you've been given the opportunity to teach and speak, you, you have power. And, um, and again, I, on awareness of power, I did hurt some people. I think of one woman in particular, I had really had leadership gifts and I was very unaware of the challenges of being a woman in the early years of being a leader, the kind of challenges she would face of being up front and teaching and, uh, you know, she had to be doubly good. And I was just not sensitive to that. And I'm very sad how I, how I did that. Even releasing people, paid or volunteer in a loving way. It's one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult task of leadership, uh, is letting someone go it's because it's such an act of power uh so you want to make sure you get wise counsel to ensure you do it fairly and honestly in a very caring way uh, now again not being honest and lying when a person is not doing their role well is not a good use of you're not stewarding power well either that way and uh again i was with one ministry recently where they, they shared how unless you're committed a sin of immorality or something you you, you may not be doing, doing a good job but you're not going to lose your job uh, your role. And so unless there was a sin and they recognized that was a gigantic problem, they weren't stewarding this power well that they had um, of folks who were not necessarily fulfilling their function well with, with whatever their role is in leadership on staff, administratively, pastorally, etc. So even now I'm aware of my power. I mean, I, I'm no longer lead pastor at Midlife Fellowship Church. I don't have that title anymore, but positional power. Um, but I'm, you know, a pastor at large. And my primary, my primary responsibility is emotionally healthy discipleship and bringing it to the world. Um, and, but I really learned about power. Uh, one of the great lessons was from a Trappist monk in uh, uh, Massachusetts who had been the abbot uh, of a monastery for decades and now was older and he was not. He was just a member of the, uh, the group, you know, the monastic community. And he was so happy not to be the abbot, but he was under the abbot and, and they, they have a very clear line of authority. They treat, they treat the abbot as Christ himself. And, um, it was really helpful for me, uh, to, 
see the flexibility if I have a good self-identity grounded in Jesus. And he was so happy to be a contemplative, you know, in prayer and not having to run the, this, you know, 60 to 80 person monastic community, all that responsibility. And, uh, and I realized the issue for me with my own succession that I guess I'm, we're in our seventh year now, how to do my own differentiation and, uh, you know, step out and now be under the board and under the new lead pastor, you know, rich and, uh, and the freedom of that as well. And it was, and I actually, now it's, you know, we're in our seventh year and I, I see the church is actually healthier. Uh, it's a, there's a healthier distribution of power now that I'm not the lead pastor. Uh, Again, I was there 26 years as a lead pastor. If I stayed as a lead pastor, I would have been there now 33 years. And oh my goodness, how unhealthy that would have been for the church because now you got a whole number of people who've really stepped out. The board is exerting a lot more authority. I think of other folks in, in leadership, but as a founder and the lead pastor, I just had a certain, a lot of authority that I think founders just carry. And uh, I just see the church as in a much healthier, stronger place now than really ever it was under my own leadership and are much more solid for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So my, my power now is more, you know, I think the power I would have right now is, is I write books and I do this podcast and people listen to it. I do videos on YouTube and this emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy discipleship course goes on around the world. And I've got some age now and some experience. And uh, we have this nonprofit ministry called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And to mitigate power, we're under, we're, we are not profit, we function as a ministry under New Life Fellowship Board. And uh, I think Jerry and I are very careful at New Life to be under and be under the staff and serving them and supportive and behind the scenes. Uh, and I think I'm very aware of, of how short-lived and any power that I do carry, uh, it's very brief and it will vanish. Uh, I'm very aware of death as I get older, and uh, it's a, that's why I love getting older. It's fantastic. I can't wait to be in my you know, next couple of decades, what lies before me, how much learning there will be. So stewardship of power, that's like number one. And let me close with this. I'm almost out of time here. And uh, let me say a few words about um, dual relationships. Um, well, let me say one more thing about before you have dual relationships. Entitlement is dangerous. Don't fall into the whole entitlement, you know, I'm entitled because you've been there a long time. And... You know, whether you have it, don't go into having an entourage or money or power, ambition, even if people give it to you, be really careful. The desire to be prominent, Jesus said, is one of the great uh, deadly viruses in the Christian community. Just forget it. You know, Jesus said, we're to turn from the world's greatness, abandon the quest for status. As Jesus said, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you want to just always choose that path of being a servant. All right. A couple words about dual relationships, and then we'll bring this to a close. Uh, every leader finds themselves in dual relationships. That's when a dual relationship is when you have more than one role in a person's life. Now, if I go to a lawyer, if I go to a doctor, if I go to a therapist, I pay this person. It's a one-way relationship. They give me legal advice. The, my doctor looks at me, gives me medicine. A therapist, they listen to me for an hour. You know, it's clear boundaries. I'm not going to dinner with them. I'm not going on vacation. The church can be very confusing. You know, I'm your friend. I'm your pastor. I'm your supervisor. I'm your spiritual authority. And... And it's very complex and it leads to a lot of problems. Problems. So here's the we want to ask yourself. What's the primary, what role is primary for you in this relationship? Who am I to that person and who is this person to me? And so, for example, if you're the pastor of the church uh, and you have friends in the church, the question is what's primary? And I would challenge you to say your primary role is to be their pastor. Because you'll say some things that may be hard that you may not say if you were a friend. I think of a youth pastor uh, from years ago that became friends with all of her, uh, you know, youth. 
and it really caused a tremendous problem when uh, she needed to be a pastor to them. And uh, it just got complicated as they grew older. So be friends with your friends, a pastor to parishioners, a mentor to mentorees, and a supervisor to volunteers. And you want to monitor dual relationships as much as possible. And get some wise counsel along the way, how you, how, you know, some perspective uh, as you set limits. Defer to the discernment of other people. And uh, when, when you're involved in paying somebody, you can rest assured uh, paying someone when there's money involved, that's a power, that's a tremendous power. Uh, and authority over someone. So you want to just be aware of early signs of danger. We change, churches changes, ministry changes. What may work, maybe worked a while ago is not working now. You've got to be able to have honest, hard conversations about risks, drawbacks, and challenges. And, um, and you know, I tell the story of my well, good friend of mine who became the head elder and how we, Andrew, we switched our relationship and we recognized he became my boss and uh, that was the primary relationship, and we were able to talk about that now. And now that I'm, he's not on the board, and I'm not, you know, he's not my boss. It's a whole different relationship, and it's wonderful we're friends. And but we were able to, to make the kind of shifts and have those kind of honor conversations, and it's really paid great dividends over the years. And but just always remember that the burden to set boundaries always falls on the person with the greater power. Um, and uh, so, even though a person in our ministry may manipulate a situation where we become their friends, the greater burden falls on us because we have the greater power. And you say, I don't want it. I don't want it. I know. I mean, I, I know. But if you have it, you have it. It's part of our suffering for Jesus. And again, read the Gospels, his suffering, his loneliness. And uh, so, and then just, you want to be monitoring French family and, and dual relationships and how you deal with family and ministry. Uh, and when it goes really well, it's fantastic. Like, I think of, you know, David, you know, Aaron and his two sons as priests and Moses with Aaron and Miriam and Peter with Andrew and James and John. They were in the same apostolic teams and Priscilla and Aquila. When it works great, it's fantastic. When it goes badly, boy, is it bad. Um, it's really bad. My four daughters are not in leadership at our church. Um, and I'm really glad They're, they would have so much power. Just their last names. I'm so happy they go to other churches. Um, here, it's fantastic. And uh, so remember, leadership is high level discipleship. Uh, this is as high level as you get power and boundaries. And so next week we'll talk about endings and new beginnings and how we handle transitions and all that, because that's another high level power that we're exercising. So again, download that discussion guide at emotionallyhealthy.org slash EH leader guide, pick it up. It's a free gift and find out more about our EH discipleship course. Uh, on, it's an online course that's going to be available this week or next week. Uh, it's a fantastic way to get into this material, get it deep in your life so you can apply it to things like power and wise boundaries. So great to be with you, everybody. Thank you so much, and uh, the Lord bless you this 